Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Shades of Grey. Our very special guest today is also a good friend of mine, Sarah Morgenstern, Principal of Investments at Omedia Network. A few things about Sarah that I think you all have to know if in the very, very off chance that you don't already know her. Not only is she very well-versed and very much well-liked in our startup ecosystem in the U.S., she has also spent a few years abroad, which gives her a great perspective of different cultures and businesses around the world. And so today, we are so glad that we can spend the next half hour with her to talk a little bit about aging, innovation, and investment. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us today. Well, I'm sure everyone will agree with that. But anyway, so um, let's start off with, can you tell us a little bit more about Omedia Network, the vision, and particularly the work that you do? Sure. So Omedia Network is a philanthropic investment firm, which is established by Pierre Omedia, who is the founder of eBay. And we support mission-driven entrepreneurs through both impact investments and grants. And the goal is to use those two tools in a complementary fashion in order to shape whole sectors. So we use patient for-profit capital to scale tech-enabled solutions in the marketplace. And then our grant tech book sort of lets us expand understanding and positively influence the environment around it. Um, We invest in the building blocks of stable and open societies. We've deployed about $1.3 billion over the past decade. And financial inclusion is one of our major areas of focus. It accounts for roughly 25% of our investments to date. Our team is global in nature, and we have investment professionals across the emerging markets. Uh, But the U.S. is also an increasingly large and high-priority market for us. And the starting point in the U.S. for all of our work is that the majority of American households, so more than 70%, according to a new study by the Center for Financial Services Innovation, are struggling with financial health and living paycheck to paycheck. So this is very much an issue that affects families up and down the income spectrum. Um, And when we refer to financial health, we're really talking about the set of day-to-day systems that families use in order to build resiliency and seize long-term opportunity. So it's about more than just a family's credit score or retirement savings, although both of those are hugely important. Uh, It is also about helping families through everyday cash flow mismatches. So when a bill is due on the 10th of the month, but payday isn't until the 15th, or ensuring households are sort of building up a rainy day fund so that when an unexpected shock hits, whether it's the car breakdown or an expensive medical bill, you know, they have a cushion to weather those rough patches and bounce back. So that's how we think about financial health. The root causes of financial insecurity are clearly varied and complex and range from intergenerational poverty to wage stagnation to the rise of the contingent workforce. Uh, But one contributing factor is that too often the financial services system itself fails to improve household situations and sometimes makes them worse, right? So you think about hidden late fees, high minimum balances, confusing legal jargon. Uh, but despite that, families are spending a lot on these products. You know, the financial services market for the underserved is estimated to be more than $175 billion per year. So that's the dynamic that we're seeking to address by promoting a financial services system that supports consumers' financial health needs. And we do that primarily by backing early stage entrepreneurs. So typically seed series A companies that are building 
innovative for-profit businesses. And then we use our grant dollars to support the broader financial health ecosystem through foundational research, measurement infrastructure, and regulatory initiatives. Sarah, uh, Omitia Network is is a very reputed uh, investment business, and going through your website, uh, it was an eye opener for me uh, as as, a, as an investor myself. Uh, the breadth and the depth of sustainable use cases that you guys have invested in is is just amazing. Um, so I'm just curious to see what your uh, approach to, approach to choosing an investment opportunity is. Uh, so, for example, do you look for any uh, secret ingredient or an X factor uh, for for when you're when you're assessing firms? What really makes you say, okay, this is something I would like to invest into? Absolutely, great question. So, you know, we really have a thesis-driven investment strategy. So, we are looking for entrepreneurs that are tackling hard and meaningful financial health challenges faced by mass market consumers here in the U.S. Um, and are building tech-led businesses. That's very much our DNA stemming from the PayPal and eBay heritage uh, that are cost-effective and more easily scalable than traditional brick-and-mortar businesses. Um, and we're particularly focused on tools that help families with day-to-day financial decisions around spending, saving, borrowing, planning, right? And that can span the gamut from personal finance to mobile banking and retirement, as well as insurance and even reg tech. Um, so a couple of examples in our financial inclusion portfolio you know, across the globe, we are active investors in challenger banks, which are digital-only, mobile-first banking platforms that are focused on creating long-term, trust-based customer relationships to help consumers have a better relationship with their finances. And one of the reasons that we like challenger banks is because they're able to process lots of transaction data and then develop tailored recommendations for their users. So really weaving in real-time nudges and automation to sort of help people seamlessly make uh, optimal financial decisions. So here in the U.S. against that thesis, we've invested in two challenger banks. One is Chime, which is a fee-free mobile bank account that served over 2 million users that really effectively incorporates behavioral economic features. So Chime is focused on consumers that are disillusioned with existing financial service providers, and its checking account layers on savings tools and other uh, financial services with the goal of improving consumers' financial health. Another example of a challenger bank is Aspiration here in the U.S., and Aspiration really comes from the environmental, social, and governance investing side of things. So it attracts consumers who want to invest their personal savings and retirement accounts in a way that's consistent with their values. So this notion is sort of voting with your wallet. So that's challenger bank. Um, another area of interest for us is overlooked consumer segments. You know, one of our observations is that while the fintech sector here in the U.S. has been flooded with capital over the past half decade, a very large proportion of that funding is focused on a relatively narrow sliver of upper income households. And we're interested in everybody else. So, for example, one of our investees that just raised their Series A is called Propel. Uh, they are a team of software engineers who wanted to use the Silicon Valley playbook to build anti-poverty solutions. And they started by focusing on food stamp recipients. So the sobering fact is here in the U.S., there are 40 million people, uh, nearly one in seven U.S. households that are enrolled in SNAP, 
which is the government food aid program for low-income households. And the Propel team spent time with NAP recipients and noticed a critical pain point, which was that it was very hard to check their balance. So Propel's first product is a free mobile app called Fresh EBT, and it lets users easily check their balances on their phones, as well as plan their grocery shopping trips, ask, access digital coupons, you know, find relevant employment opportunities. And the tool helps users save time and stress and just makes it easier to budget over the course of the month. Um, and what's exciting is to see the customer response, which has been pretty overwhelming. So Propel now has over 1.5 million users using Fresh EBT every month. And equally promisingly, from an impact investing standpoint, which really matters to us, there's early evidence that these tools are making a real difference in people's ability to stretch out their earnings. So Propel just did a, a study with Harvard that showed that Fresh EBT users actually extend their SNAP benefits by an extra day per month. So you've got Propel sort of helping to eliminate upwards of 1.5 million hungry days for its customers every month. So hopefully that gives you a, a flavor for our investment philosophy. And I would say at the highest level, you know, we really do think we're at an inflection point where smartphone technology, behavioral economic insights, human-centered design are all coming together to allow for new and better financial service value propositions. So it is an exciting time to be active in this space. Before we break, we would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore and explain complex ideas, innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us. That's wonderful. And, and I love what Propel is doing too. I remember meeting Jimmy, gosh, maybe three years ago when, when they were starting, um, I think he left Facebook. And his vision, I mean, he is he is exceptional. So it's yeah. I love the work that you guys are doing um, with him and the others. So, but that's a good segue of um, of something that I, I think you and I both feel um, quite strongly about. You know, when you were talking about overlooked consumer segment, um, it cannot be more true um, other than the, the underbanked. Um, yeah, and the underserved is uh, the older adults, right? It's it's something that carries a little bit of a stigma, in terms of well, you know, older people don't use technology. Well, you know, we don't really need to do anything with them, and it cannot be further from the truth because we are living longer, and so the way we manage our money needs to be different as well. And I would love to see more innovation in that space. And I'm curious to to hear from you from from a funding. Uh, perspective from a VC perspective, um, do you see that focus changing? That people are finally realizing there is an opportunity to be had. Um, where do you see the market in that particular space? We certainly share your perspective that the level of organic startup activity and investment dollars focused on longevity issues and the financial challenges faced by aging households is too low relative to the scope of the societal challenge and the size of the market opportunity. Um, I do think we're still in the early days of increasing awareness and galvanizing resources against this issue. So do expect to see sort of this topic rise in prominence over the long run. 
Um, but maybe let me talk a little about why this is a high priority area for us at the Omidyar Network. And to your point, it does stem back to our previous discussion around overlooked consumer segments. And, and one of the populations we are heavily focused on is aging households and sort of the 50 plus cohort. Um, and we really got there based on first principles, right? So as venture investors, we're looking for large and growing consumer segments with complex, distinctive financial challenges. And as you described, Theo, this demographic fits that bill, right? So um, the facts are we've got a population that's 110 million people and growing quickly, wields more than half of the investable assets in the U.S., and is wrestling with difficult and unique issues from asset deaccumulation to fraud and protecting against elderly exploitation uh, to supplemental earnings to Social Security for folks who, who maybe didn't save enough, um, caregiving, healthcare costs, right? So when we look at that picture, we think it really meets the criteria that we look for as venture investors. Um, and I suspect that part of the delay in this catching on in the venture community uh, to your point, does tie back to some misconceptions about this age cohort's degree of technological savvy. And I think it is helpful to continuously refresh that knowledge base. So when you look at today's 50-year-old, you know, they grew up with consumer electronics, computers, the internet. This is a a more digitally advanced generation than their predecessors. Um, And even the statistics tell the story pretty clearly. You know, you look at folks age 54 to 67, 67% of them have a smartphone, 57% use social media. Both of those rates are continuing to climb every year. So that fact base is is what got us excited. And it's one of the reasons we invested in a company based here in D.C. called United Income, uh, which is a financial planning and investment management firm for people approaching or in retirement. And the core issue that they're focused on um, speak to what you were talking about, which is that people are living longer, uh, but they're not saving disproportionately more. And so you're having to draw down the same amount of money over a longer time frame. And that's a really tricky set of decisions. And at the moment, as an industry, we have pretty crude and unsophisticated tools for advising people on how to do that well. So United Income is is using uh, big data and other technological advances to help people make those drawdown decisions uh, more intelligently and deliberately uh, and even help to sort of consolidate people's monthly drawdowns into a paycheck, hence their name, United Income. So, you know, I would say based on the reception we're seeing for United Income, I, I do think the issue of asset deaccumulation is increasingly on investors' radar screen. Um, I'm optimistic that we will see increased activity there. And I was heartened to see that CB Insights released a FinTech for the Elderly uh, startup map this, this week. It's always a good sign for a sector that it's gaining traction when CB Insights sort of sketches it out and puts it on the map. So this is the beginning of a lot more innovation to come. I have a question for you because uh, you've made several investments across the globe, um, be it um, education in Africa, personal finance in Brazil, 
or um, or uh, lending in rural India. There are quite a lot of use cases across the world you've you've covered, and and of course you touched upon your challenge banking um, investments um, across different parts of the world as well. So, what kind of segments are you now kind of looking uh, looking to invest in future? What do you think is the is uh, from 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 Omadia Networks perspective? What do you think is is the next big thing that you'll be getting involved in? So for our financial inclusion team here in the U.S., that overlooked consumer segment theme will continue to be top of mind. And another segment that we're focused on is freelancers and the contingent workforce. So you think about the growing number of gig workers, 1099 employees, solo entrepreneurs that are increasingly cobbling together a portfolio of work across lots of different part-time jobs. Uh, and they're coping with a broad range of challenges, right? They've got volatile cash flows. Uh, tax management and withholding is more complex, saving for retirement. So we think that that uh, population needs better financial tools. We've got a, a banking system that is designed for a full-time W-2 worker, and increasingly that's just not the world that uh, much of the workforce inhabits. So we recently invested in a company in Atlanta called Steady against this thesis, and I think it will be the first of, of multiple bets for us. What Steady does is it helps people find supplementary earning opportunity. So they've aggregated on-demand and part-time jobs, not just the Ubers and the Lyfts and the TaskRabbits of the world, but also players like Albertsons and UPS. And then against that, they're able to help people find the best fit opportunity given their skills, location, time, and availability. Uh, and we're seeing fast-paced growth there, which suggests that that's a value proposition that I think has real length. Um, and I they steady part of the other reason we got excited about them. I think what they represent is historically in financial services, we've talked about, you know, how do you help people optimize their pie? So they've got money coming in the door. It is what it is. And then how do you make the best choices against that? Um, and for a lot of households, that's not good enough, right? So I think there's scope within financial services for us to think about how do you help families grow their pie by identifying earnings opportunities um, and helping them to increase their income. So that's a theme that we're excited about and in the early stages of exploring. Another area of interest for us is reg, right? So we started to realize that look, technology certainly creates concerns among regulators, but it can also be helpful to them as they supervise the financial system. Uh, and there are areas at the moment from a regulatory perspective that are conducted in sort of an out-of-state way that are still pretty paper-based and manual and quite costly. Uh, so we just invested in a company called Hummingbird, and they use artificial intelligence to help financial institutions um, around suspicious activity report compliance and do it more effectively at a far lower cost. And we could imagine that, that there's more to come on that front, and it's an area where we continue to be sort of actively pursuing investments. I think it sounds like you have a lot on your plate <laughs> for the next year and, and beyond. Um, it's certainly a lot of different areas um, that have opportunities to grow. So let me ask you a, a follow-up and final question. What is missing that you would like to see more of from, from this vast ecosystem perspective? Yeah, great question, Theo. So I think there is room for continued innovation around how to construct business models in financial services that are well aligned with consumers' long-term financial health. 
Uh, we, we just completed a piece of research with Oliver Wyman, a financial services consulting group on the revenue model landscape for fintech in the U.S. And the headline message from that piece of work was that we're starting to see a new generation of fintechs that are using trust-based revenue models as a genuine competitive advantage to gain traction in the financial services market for the underserved. And they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts, right? They're aligning incentives with consumers' best interest because they think it's good business. And the underlying logic is, you know, we all know that trust is the cornerstone of financial services, and yet this is still the least trusted of the major industries by consumers. And we think revenue models are a critical but often overlooked component of trust. So when you look at Edelman's trust barometer, you know, consumers specifically highlight revenue practices, hidden fees, unwanted selling as a top source of mistrust. Uh, and yet the industry is still sort of littered with revenue practices that erode consumer confidence. And I think even new entrants in the past have had a tendency to perpetuate that status quo. So we're excited about this new cohort of mass market founders that's looking at the, that landscape, rejecting business as usual, and being quite imaginative and innovative around and deliberate and, um, early in their business development around revenue models that make sense. So I think that's one area where we'd love to see continued uh, experimentation. There's clearly no winning blueprint yet, but it's promising and intriguing. Another area, quite apart from that, is around promoting greater collaboration information sharing between regulators and innovators. Um, so the sandbox phenomenon that has taken shape globally and, and thinking through how we could replicate some of the best of that here in the U.S. Uh, and to that end, I mentioned before that we could grant one of the organizations we're helping to support is a new entity called the FinReg Lab. And it's a test and learn facility led by a former senior executive at the Treasury Department that's really creating an environment where startups and regulators can choose a topic each year to develop an evidence base around. So this is the first cohort they're going to focus on cash flow-based underwriting and running a series of experiments around that, synthesizing them, and then sharing them with the broader landscape. And I think that kind of dialogue between, in this appropriately heavily regulated industry, regulators and startups is really crucial. So those are two things um, that we're looking forward to seeing more of in the broader ecosystem. I love that report that, that you guys released um, with Alpha Women that was done um, in the fall uh, with it, Money 2020. I think it, it speaks volume um, from a couple of different perspectives that A, you know, you guys are continuous to encourage innovation in the space, but more so is to continue the message of you can do well while you do good, right? We don't have to keep gouging customers right. with fees. Um, there, there is a different way of doing things where you can earn trust, where you can promote value, and also help to get consumers where, where they need to be and the benefits of society as a whole. So I love that. And uh, with that being said, I think this actually is a great point that brings up to the end. Um, love the conversation. And uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Sarah.